The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. I'll give a moment for our choir to have a seat there. I can see myself in this scene that we just heard about now, rolling my eyes, a subtle smirk on my face, leaning over to Judas like I would to Pastor Chris to sarcastically whisper something like, well, this is money well spent. (laughs) Scanning the room to see the equally uncomfortable Faces and maybe offering, if I catch someone's eye, a little shrug. I'm trying but failing to respect the solemnity of the moment, all all the time thinking, this is interesting. Interesting in that Midwestern passive-aggressive way that we use the term to really mean not good. I can see myself now standing with Judas. John gives us the option in his gospel to disassociate with Judas by noting his ultimate betrayal and his disingenuous concern for the poor. But this story also appears in the other three Gospels, and in those Gospels, the uncomfortable response and the concern that Judas expresses is felt by all the disciples in the room. While feet washing was a familiar first century practice because people in cities essentially walked through open sewers, so they needed it, when they entered a home. Everything else about Mary's action in this scene would have been strange and uncomfortable for the room. Foot washing was the job of servants, not the member of the household. A woman publicly letting her hair down would have been perceived as a vulgar lack of modesty. 
The expensive ointment, 300 denarii, was worth as much as an average laborer would make in a year. And the intimate, unusual, interesting, we might say, touch of hair to feet would have seemed at least as awkward as we would perceive it to be today. I imagine the whole room squirming as I and I expect many of you would be. Further, I sympathize with Judas' concern. Couldn't this lavish sum of money have been better spent? I mean, surely we have more important things to do than waste precious, limited resources on purely symbolic gestures. I mean, imagine if we were to gather for a semi-annual meeting here and I were to stand up and suggest, you know, maybe we should change the budget to include $100,000 to build a giant cross in the parking lot. No one would stand up and say, Pastor Eric, crosses are bad. But I would guess multiple people would raise the question of, is that the wisest way to spend our budget? And I would never do that because I'd agree with you. I understand the church as called to be a community working for peace and justice, caring for those in need, and building up the kingdom of God that Jesus proclaimed throughout his ministry. Not performing religious rituals with little to no impact on the world around us. I mean, what's the point of that? There are so many important things to do. So much that needs to be done to make the world look a little more like the world that Jesus envisioned. This story lifts up the tensions between religious devotion on one hand and public service on the other. And I find myself standing with Judas, taking Jesus' rebuke personally, a challenge to my Christian faith that generally prioritizes action in the world over private acts of piety and devotion. So where does that leave Judas? And I and any of you who share our sympathies, and I know that some of you do because you would not be supportive of my giant cross idea. Is Jesus scolding us? Are my priorities completely out of order? First, it's important to be clear that Jesus is not saying we shouldn't be concerned with the poor. When Jesus says, 
you will always have the poor. He's echoing Deuteronomy 15, 11, which says, since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, there's the echo, therefore I command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. This verse This quote from Jesus is occasionally quoted to justify a lack of concern or action in response to the poor. But Jesus is actually saying the very opposite. It's a reminder that we need to be careful when quoting scriptures without context. Jesus isn't contradicting the countless biblical commands to care for the poor and those in need. Judas, if he were being genuine, the other disciples in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, myself and anyone who shares our sympathies are right to be concerned for those in need. But there's more going on here. Death is in the air. Lazarus, who Jesus just raised from the dead, the chapter before, a few days, is now seated at the table with them. The people gathered around the table remember wrapping Lazarus in cloths, anointing him and placing him in the tomb, and now he's sitting with them at the table. Immediately before this story, we are told of the chief priests and Pharisees' plan to kill Jesus. There's a plan to kill Lazarus afoot as well. They are on the edge of Jerusalem, and Jesus has already told them what's coming in Jerusalem. And now it's time. She bought this perfume so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. Jesus says, and now the perfume is poured. The scent of death fills the room. And death puts everything else in context. I talked about that back on Ash Wednesday as we began this Lenten journey by confronting our mortality. Lent is about getting our priorities straight, rearranging our life so that what we treat as most important is what's most important. This is a reorienting story for Judas, myself, and all of us who get caught up in what we should or must do or how well we're doing it. The Bible and the church, for better or worse, offer all sorts of teachings about what we should do, what the Christian life should look like. 
And indeed, the Christian life is a way of living, not just a set of things that we believe in. The gospel intends to transform our lives, inviting us to live differently, to live into the new creation that Jesus talks about and names the kingdom of God. And this certainly involves caring for the poor and others in need. But eventually, we too will find ourselves at the edge of Jerusalem with the scent of death in the air. And in that hour, it will not be how hard we worked, how much money we made, how many things we accumulated, or how well we managed the church budget that is important. It will not be how religious or kind or generous we were that matters. It's why Paul, writing to the Philippians, Paul, who clearly understood his work as an apostle serving the Gentiles to be important, it is why, in spite of that, he can say, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When we return to the dust, as we all do, one thing remains. Jesus Christ, who died for you and for me and for Judas and for all creation and through whom new and eternal life comes. When our good works begin to seem more important than Christ's great work. Or when we begin to forget why or for whom we do such works, then we need to remember Mary. Hair down, pride set aside, unconcerned with the opinions of others in the room, filling the room with the scent of perfume and offering all she and us have to give in response to Jesus. Our thanks and devotion to the one who gave it all for us. Amen.